Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am the father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the lush but not lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is episode 605. We return to the realm of the misbegotten sequel, tackling the 1961 classic, The Hustler. Ooh. You know how much I love my old-timey movies, so... I know. I was thinking this, about you when I asked when I brought it up. Yeah, is, so I'm is very Is this the prequel to Hustlers? <laughs> if only. <laughs> I would love to see uh, Paul Newman in a crop top. <laughs> Maybe Paul Newman in 1960. Maybe well, it's 1961, but not uh, not 19- George C. Scott so much, though. So, <laughs> I don't know. 1961, George C. Scott was pretty trim, trim and slim. Okay, well, we know where Joe lands <laughs> on that issue. So let's uh, go around the virtual table, and everyone can introduce themselves. This is Joe. This is Kevin. And this is Tom. And joining us uh, today via the magic of Zoom Tube from the Binge Movies podcast, it's Jason. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Good. Uh, it's not the Binge Movies, just like it's not the real spoilers. Okay, I sorry. I frequently <laughs> refer to it as the real spoilers. Uh, it's just Binge Movies. This is just real spoilers. And it's my deep honor and privilege to be here. In my head, the, the, the word the was lowercase, if that makes you feel any better. It does. Okay. Yes. like. <laughs> Better than all caps because that'd be shouting. It'd be no. the yeah. real spoilers, and that would or the binge movies, and that would have been too much. Tom's old though, and he puts the in front of Facebook even. So I mean, he just <laughs> yeah. does that to everything. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're talking about the hustler, which I'm excited about, and what I'm most excited about is to finally actually interact with Tom. <laughs> Because he oh. was actually Paul Newman's babysitter. <laughs> I, uh, I just let him get away with murder because of those dreamy blue eyes. And you know what? You can make fun of the Facebook all you want. Type it into your URL, bitch, because it <laughs> See works. what happens. It works. Tom, Tom bookmarked it once, and he's never messed with it yeah. again. <laughs> so before we dig into the movie, uh, shameless plugs. Don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us while you're there. Be sure and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And, of course, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash real spoilers. While you're there, like the page, join the group. And one of the easiest things you can do to help us out is just share an episode. Uh, I think we finally got it figured out as to where to find all the League of Show sharers again. So fingers crossed that we get everybody. Um, so here are the people who were kind enough to share an episode last week. Gabriel Lugo, Chris Magicman, Travis Tewitt, Ron Johnson, Chris Sanders, Julianne Jordan, Chris Williams, Laura Connolly Quiddick, Librarian Cynthia, Chris Falls, Ronnie Castle. Castle? I, I still struggle with that one. Uh, <laughs> Ken Holtzhauser, Michael Dean, Colby Mack, and Ryan L. Terry. So thank you very much, guys, for sharing an episode. We greatly appreciate it. And, of course, our Patreon patreon.com slash real spoilers where for five bucks a month you get all sorts of bonus content and you help out and we secretly like you a little extra also it's not a secret so um (laughs) there's all that let's uh let's dig in the hustler 1961 so i was thinking about we we, you know we, we talk about misbegotten sequels and i don't think i had ever seen color of money 
Yeah, I was wondering why you people were a little confused with the movie choice, and I was going to be like, well, Joe chose this. I don't know what he was thinking. But then I watched Color of Money, and I was like, oh. Yeah, this isn't a misbegotten sequel series. This is just a movie and its sequel series. I didn't like this movie. I didn't. Well, I didn't like the second one at all. Interesting. Yeah, like, and and so I will say that, like, is is this misbegotten? Like, that movie's a turd. No, not at all. Is that movie up to the caliber of the first one? No, not at all. (laughs) So, (laughs) and that that was kind of like I looked online before I said anything for the consensus about like if it is a misbegotten sequel, and it like. He won the Oscar, right? It was a... Like it, a gimme Oscar? It was like a we feel bad because of all the times we didn't give you the Oscar. Like, right. that like was a, for 1961's The Hustler? Yeah, or for <laughs> HUD, or for Butch Cassidy, or for The Verdict, or for Absence of Malice, or for... I, you know what I mean? Like, there there are so many movies that he could have and sh- probably should have won. So, th- should he have won for this one? Probably not. And by probably, I mean not at all. But um, <laughs> for but, the hustler, f- no, for color of money, for color of money, oh, he okay. won for color jump- of money. Yeah, and so it, it was definitely like we we feel bad. It was the equivalent of when uh uh ah crap, I'm blanking on the name. The guy who won it for City, City Slickers. Slickers too, right? Yeah. Oh, Jack Palance. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So definitely. Well, apparently the hustler, uh, Paul Newman, was one speech away from from winning that Oscar. They cut this incredible speech that apparently uh, the director and the editor said didn't move the story along at all. So they cut it. But it was incredible. And people think, including Paul Newman, that if they would have left that in, that like that was that was, you know, when you see Oscar moments from a reel or something like he had an Oscar moment in this movie that got cut. Well, if you're talking about 1961's The Hustler, you're talking about kind of a touchstone of American cinema that I have never seen nice. until this episode, which makes me an illegitimate film critic <laughs> and film reviewer. I feel ashamed to even be no, here. No, you shouldn't. But now I've seen it. You, so. you shouldn't, though. We all have those those gaps in our film. Oh, it's a blind spot. Yeah, yeah. we all have them. Like, I, I didn't see, like, Gone with the Wind until, like, two years ago so oh wow wow. i mean we've you know we've all we've all got movies like that that just for whatever reason snuck by us and we've never i hadn't seen monster squad until we did the episode on it i still haven't seen it i've (laughs) blocked my way through that dog (laughs) (laughs) monster squad monster squad is one of the most underrated films of the 1980s thank you i'm here to defend joe on that we need to have more guests on this show that agree with me are do you are, are you two gonna just start your own podcast yeah. or what is <laughs> we talked about it <laughs> no because it'd be 12 and a half hours long and <laughs> yeah. wouldn't record it. No. i wouldn't record one whole thing I yeah. do it all over again that's some inside baseball for you there it sucks because that episode we didn't record was really good well yeah you've got half yeah. the audio you just need you just need to insert <laughs> joe going yes uh-huh yeah it gives the listener the opportunity to feel like they're on the podcast <laughs> yeah, they, right, that's right. Right. yeah just respond to jason it's a it's a mad uh, mad, mad libs yeah. podcast yeah. just put in whatever words and pronouns you want <laughs> yeah. well you know back to that speech that got cut i i honestly wonder if maybe it got cut because watching this movie again and it's it's probably been 20 years since i've watched the film i was really kind of it really follows a lot of the same beats as on the waterfront and i wonder if that mm. speech was maybe oh. too similar to the I could have been a contender speech and mm. they were just like mm, that's going to a little maybe a bridge too far and they and they they took it out maybe I wish I, I I didn't take notes when I was reading about it I was just doing some research and I I had read about the cut scene that was supposedly so good and um I I can't remember the context of it but that would be interesting what I was going to say though is I was going to say with Paul Newman like there's plenty of material in the Hustler. That would have been, you would think, in 1961, Academy Award worthy, at least for a nomination. Except for the fact that I think, this is maybe criminal to say, I think George C. Scott in his third movie ever, this is the third film he had ever made, yeah, just comes out like guns blazing and just steals the movie right underneath Paul Newman. Like Paul Newman's giving an, an incredible performance. You got Jackie Gleason, who has maybe five words of dialogue in the entire <laughs> right. movie. And most of it's like, "You shoot good pocket, yeah, <laughs> and it's cue ball, whatever, nine like, ball." Yeah, he's just. Calling. But here's the thing: yeah. his performance is actually amazing. We're joking mm-hmm. about it. I was just like, what he doesn't say and the right. look and like, it's just excellent. He's this glammed up but yet defeated 
kind of indentured servant to billiards. Yeah. It's like he it's like he doesn't even want to play the game anymore. No, he shows up every night at the same time. He plays all night. He yeah. leaves. Like they set the clocks by when he enters the pool hall. Like, but Jackie Gleason has such a presence and he yeah, as soon as he walks through that door, you're you're immediately drawn. I mean, and here's the thing. To me, Paul Newman is one of the coolest dudes ever. Like Absolutely. that dude, he, mm-hmm. we talk about him and, and Robert Redford in Butch and Sundance, but there's just, like when even him by himself, there's just an aura of just cool. Mm-hmm. So when you've got that charisma on screen and then Jackie Gleason walks in and legit takes your charisma away from you, <laughs> like that yeah. tells you how good Jackie Gleason is. And I completely agree about George C. Scott. Like, as soon as you see, he's the same way, yep. right? Like he doesn't look like the George C. Scott that I remember, but I mean, the voice never changed, and his he's still very much the same person. Oh, when he went into the uh, "Give me the money," I was like, "Oh, this is Exorcist <laughs> oh, Three, oh, George yeah. C. Scott." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's great. I, I I had forgotten that he was in it. Like since the last time that I watched the movie, I just didn't. You know, just one of those things where, like, at the time I knew it, but I had totally forgotten. And I watched it again. I'm like, oh, crap, George C. Scott's in this. And he's so good. And and I looked up in my research, just like Jason, The this is his third movie ever. Like, wow, he is firing on all cylinders. He, You know, some people we talked about before, some people just have it. Some people are movie stars. They have that natural charisma and, and that it factor. And Paul Newman is clearly another one of them. But, yeah, George C. Scott he it blew me away with how good he is and to overshadow other actors like newman uh during some of those scenes it's like wow well, what's amazing is like three movies in he feels like a fully formed actor oh yeah like the, for sure the, how he delivers the dialogue where he chooses to place his intonations how he chooses to gesture everything feels fully formed and it doesn't really feel like acting bert feels and i would say all of these characters feel with maybe the exception of Piper Laurie. Not that she gives a bad performance. It's just sort of that classic Hollywood. I know this is 1961, but if you would have told me this movie was made 20 years previous, 10 years previous, I could maybe vibe with that because there's some elements of it that are a little bit arched. And I think her performance is a little bit arched. It's a little bit of that old Hollywood way. Like, it's it's dialogue. She has some lines that are... you say are, it's, like bre- it's like breathy? Yeah, it's breathy, and on top of that, it's um, no human being would speak the way that she does. It's not to say the dialogue's bad, but it doesn't. It's not that '70s stripped-down cinema or even late '60s we would get to with the counterculture film movement. We're in this really weird time where it's like, was this movie made in like 1954, and yet there's uh, out of wedlock. Uh, Relations. I know this is a clean podcast. I'll do my best to <laughs> you do PG-13. not be a Vulgarian, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, there's like some scandalous stuff in here, and yet it's sort of like, and the camera sweeps away out through the window, yeah. and it comes <laughs> well, back. Well, I mean, in. at one point she's ready to go out in the alley and like let them take a turn for some for a drink. You know, right? Yeah. That do we have yes. enough time? Like, I I was really thrown by that too because when I had seen this movie previously and years ago, I never really caught on to that. Like, I just thought of it as this this witty banter. But I'm like, whoa, they're talking. She like he's propositioning her. She's like, do we have time for that? So I, okay, so I don't think that he is though. I think he's he's hitting on her. He's throwing his he's he's taking his shot. No pun intended. But she she's so damaged. Yeah, that that's where she immediately goes with it. Yeah, I agree it's with like, Joe. Like he, like he, he's flirting, and she's right. just like, "Oh, are we doing the thing where I, you know, I let you put?" No, it in we're on the same beer? page. Yeah. I, I agree. He's playing along with it. He's just joking, like, "Oh, yeah, I guess we wouldn't or whatever." Yeah, no, I, I get it. I'm just saying. But that- then she's actually totally broken. That's the thing. Yes. Like he's, yeah. He's everybody in this movie is a scumbag or a broken person or I don't, this is I don't not think like, that I don't think that Paul Newman is a scumbag as much as like he's a scumbag. <laughs> I think that's the point of the movie is that he's a yeah. POS. I think he's an awful person. I guess I would feel like he was an, he would be an awful person if he didn't when the thing when we get to the thing like his reaction at the end of the movie was di- was more like George. So he's well, well, at the, well, but yeah, but at the, at the end of the movie, he's grown as a character. At the start of the yeah, movie, right. he I that's feel like- when he gets the whole point of the movie is you don't have any character. You have talent. Sure, you've got sure. charm. Right, yeah. You've got all this sort of stuff. You have no virtue, and so it takes this horrific thing happening and him being in complete and total trash bag of human garbage 
for two hours and ten minutes for him to be even slightly redeemable in the last fifteen minutes. Actually, it's the last seven minutes of the movies. Like right. he shows an inkling of regret over like this horrific degradation of the woman he loved that he's a like, part. Of. I don't think he's like. What a swell guy. <laughs> I feel like he's he's from this world, but he's not of it. And he wants to break out of it, but he has no idea how. Mm. You know, and so he's just kind of like he, you know, he just doesn't like the world he's in, but it's all he's got. And he doesn't know how to be better. And he's trying to figure it out. And she's kind of his 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 path out of it. And then he completely screws that up. But let's let's actually start at the beginning of the movie so we don't get too far. I guess that's true, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the movie basically opens up with uh, Paul Newman as a, as a, as a hustler. The, the movie is very, the movie title is very apropos. Um, he's going to pool halls and he's just working, guys, and that's what he does. And But we kind of find out that his main goal is he wants to play Minnesota Fats, played by Jackie Gleason. That's the goal. So he gets himself set up in this perfect position uh, where he knows that Fats is going to come into the pool hall at this time, and he's going to play him until he quits. And he being Fats Domino, right? No, Minnesota Fats. Fats. Minnesota Fats. I keep, Fats I kept doing it in my head too. Like, <laughs> oh, <I'm... laughs> Fats to gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, the deal is to build upon that uh, Fast Eddie, Paul Newman's character. He isn't concerned with the money. They're making plenty of money. They're eating good, as his manager Charlie says. Uh, you know, they're they're. They're, they've got women and money and all this stuff, but he, it's not so much about the money as he wants to be known as the best pool player in the United States. Everyone's always talking about Minnesota fats and he hasn't lost a game in 15 years. And Paul Newman knows that he's better. Like he, he knows he has the talent and the skill to be the best, but he's very cocky, very arrogant, and he doesn't know when to quit. And so it ends up being his downfall that he doesn't, I mean, Minnesota Fats basically I mean they could have been done and he could have beaten him they, they were he up had him beat like the, he he says he's like I want to Charlie asks Eddie uh, he goes what's the what's the goal here yeah. and and Paul Newman says I want to make 10 grand and I'm like 10 grand in 1961 in a pool hall yeah like that's that's a lot of money like that's a lot of money and so it so once he starts playing him they get up to 11 grand and he's like we've got the money and he's like no i i want to i'm going to play him until he's defeated he needs basically. To, he, need, he need, like fats needs to say that he quits yeah and so then, they, I'll, then i'll quit they play on this marathon pool session and he gets up to eighteen thousand dollars which would have basically been over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> in our money today hmm. and that's, he, a lot, that's a lot of pool and money. he still doesn't quit like they're playing they're tired they're they're just on this crazy bender and he will not quit until Minnesota Fats quits, and he ends up losing it all, which just totally destroys him. Well, I not, not to contradict uh, Tom here, but I'm about to contradict him. I didn't see him as trying to get out of this world. I see Eddie as trying to break into this world because he's a small-time hustler who's trying to get in with the big sharks. I for the for the reason that you're saying, which is he wants to he wants. This guy has one skill, and it's yeah. pool. It's nine ball or whatever game they're shooting. He has Straight he's a pool. loser in life. This Not is the one ball. thing he's got. <laughs> he's a drunk. He's an alcoholic. He's playing pool for twenty five hours, drinking cheap bourbon by the bottle. Yeah. He's so <laughs> soused by the end of this, and so disheveled. And Newman does great physical uh, acting here, where he's like slumped over in a chair. His clothes look soiled, and then you got Jackie Gleason who like goes to the powder room and comes back out perfectly quaffed again, washing his hands, <laughs> yeah. ready to go again after 26 hours of straight pool. And how many cigarettes did they smoke in real life in this movie? I wonder. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're wrong. Like, I, you know, like, I, I think that I think all of that is true, but I think there's two there's two worlds kind of converging here. And so you're you're speaking about the the world as more of a career path and i totally agree like he wants to be the best pool player and have that that stature but i think the world he's trying to break out of when i say the world he's trying to is is the sleazy element of it mm. and and the and he doesn't want to be this sketchy guy and i i think in a way he thinks if he if he achieves this status he will shed that world behind. Like he doesn't realize. Mm. He thinks Jackie Gleason's character. He thinks Minnesota Fats behaves the way he does because he's the best. When really he's the best 
because he behaves the way he does, right? Yes, and, which is the point that Charlie I think makes with him, right? Where he's like, "You've got you've got the skills, but he's got you with the character, right?" Yeah. And so I I think that he thinks if he can do that, that I mean, it's kind of you I mean you see this in real life a lot, right? With with actors with actors or musicians where they talk about how they wanted to have a number one record or be the biggest rock band in the world or win an Oscar, and then they get it and they're just like, "Oh, I'm the same." dirtbag I always was I'm just now a dirtbag with an Oscar this really doesn't change anything and then they don't know what to do right and right. I, I think that's what would happen to him if he if if he would have beaten him but well that goes to the the line that we're not quite at yet when he meets Piper Laura she says no you're too hungry yeah right is that mm-hmm. nothing it will never be enough right him being 160 grand up is not enough because he wants basically wants Jackie Gleason to beg him to stop right. and say I'm no good you're the best oh you're to give him that vote of confidence so he can believe in himself mm-hmm. um but it it wouldn't be enough he's it too hungry yeah for not just winning but for something that character that in that self he's got a hole in him that he can't fill yes he's a bottomless yep. it's interesting because we kind of get there like as we progress and even when we get to the color of color of money like he he does kind of get out of that world yeah Right, like he's still he's still working in a pool hall, but he's not hustling. Like he's he's selling booze. Like that's kind of the we, we'll we'll get well, there. Well, that's the a episode, hustle but, too. But yeah, yeah let's get it back is to sort of. But it's not. I mean, I think mm. like working the halls and you know put you know putting your time on the pavement. We'll is a get there. We'll get than, there. Right. So he loses. Like he, like you said, he has him up, and then all of a sudden, Jackie Gleason goes into the bat goes into the bathroom, splashes some water on his face, tightens up his suit. And he's ready to play where he's basically outclassed and outpaced Paul Newman. Like Jackie Gleason wasn't wasn't drinking like Paul Newman's, like you said, is slamming shots and bottles of bourbon and beer. And he was drinking. He just knew how to handle it. Ex- he was taking his time. He right? knew how to pace where himself. George, and he's got one hundred and twenty pounds on him. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. <laughs> so was George C. Scott supposed to be the money man or is he like the cooler? Because they call him from a card game. They're like, hey, Fats is playing. And then he shows up in the pool hall. So was he supposed to be the money guy? He's the guy putting the stakes up. Yeah. 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 Okay, so horse. he was he was his Charlie. Yeah, that's, uh, how, I, yeah. that's how I took it. Okay, yeah. I kind of took it as like... He's a high-end ga- gambling guy, too. So he likes to get on action on high-end sure. stuff. And so if you know Fats is playing a high-dollar game, he's coming in and he's going to want to get his money in there. And so he's willing to back I'm with you. Jackie mm-hmm. Gleason's character so that he can get a return on the investment. So like that scene, the presence of George C. Scott, just when he's sitting there right? and Paul Newman says, mm. you've been, Hey, can you move? You've been sitting there for hours mm. and he picks up his chair and scoots it to the right, like five inches and then sits back <laughs> down without saying a word. And George C. Scott says everything just through those actions. Yeah. And, that, and he's wearing sunglasses too, right? Like, Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. He's got sunglasses on in a pool house. Right. Like, so he, he plays that you, you remember all of that stuff. And usually we talk about, uh, you know, actors using their eyes to deliver emotion or, you know, things across the uh, across the screen where he's not even doing that. Yeah. Like he's he just got, has he's this... got those like Ray Ban sunglasses on. You can't see his face. But he just he's he is so acerbic in this movie. George C. Scott is so he's like an acid tongue in this movie. And yet <laughs> most of the movie, he has a smile on his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He plays it cool. So where we know, you know, Patton, we know these like over the top performances. He has his moments, but. Here he's not so much chewing the scenery as he is, just sort of he's like where Newman's frantic. There's a there's a desperation in all of his actions, even the way he plays pool. Gleason's character completely laid back. Uh, Newman's character com- uh, or uh, George C. Scott's character completely laid back. Bert is he's got you know a lot of money on the line and is just absolutely relaxed and is completely at ease this is his business he knows it and he's used to to he's a high dollar gambler so he knows that it's like i mean this is just how it goes you you bet you a lot of money and you win you lose some yeah i mean a steak a steak horse they they would know the 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 math of it right and he's you know this isn't the only thing he's got going on too and Mm -hmm. and he's playing the the long he's got the deep enough pockets that he can play the long game and be like in time I'm going to come out ahead which is how that works. I mean there are, I mean that's a very real thing what he's doing like poker most of the people in the world series of poker 
they don't have the money to go in and play. They establish that they have enough skill to do it, and then somebody with actual money comes in and helps them bankroll after they get to a certain level. So, I mean, that's a real, very much a real thing. Well, plus he immediately sizes up, and I think Gleason, Minnesota Fats does as well. He immediately sizes Eddie up as, okay, this guy's this guy's a hot shot, but in the end, we're going to beat him. Right. He's a because loser. He's, he's he's too desperate. Yeah, he's a loser. He's too desperate to win. He doesn't know when to walk away. He's got the talent. The he doesn't have the, the experience. Movie. Yep. You know. So let's talk about Sarah. Yeah. So he he loses and he's kind of he's distraught and and beaten down. So he's sitting at like a train station or a bus station because it's the only place that serves booze uh, pretty much twenty four hours a day. And he sees this woman sitting at a at a booth and he like I said he shoots a shot with her and he goes to sit down with her and she's immediately like. I mean, I guess if you're going to buy me a drink, I guess you could go, you know, throw one in behind the the trust, the bus station. He's like, whoa, no, like that's that's not exactly what I'm like. He's like, that would be fine at a later date, but that's not what I was getting at now. Uh, And she kind of she lies to him about like catching a bus. Um, So you can tell immediately that she's got some baggage. She's got some stuff going on. And then they just ha- they they sit down together and they just start having this conversation. The, I mean, the dialogue is great in this movie, and the way mm-hmm. we can't even do it justice with these explanations because it's written so so amazingly. Was this but, ever for the stage? And this is a no. book, but not for it the was, stage. Yeah, it, was okay. an, it was a novel first. Okay. But, okay. So, but she basically is like, you know, I I go to college part time. She wants to be a writer, and then he's like, "What do you do when you don't go to college?" And she's like, "I drink." And <laughs> there's a, so you're starting to learn about her character. She's she's she doesn't have to work. Her her family has money and gives her money to go to school and to support her lifestyle, which is just drinking and you know whatever, just you know dealing going with all to school her... two days a week. Like, yeah, she goes on like Tuesdays and Thursdays, and that's it. Right. And so she's got uh, problems. She she walks with a limp. And so, uh, you know, she has she carries that baggage with her where she feels inadequate and she she doesn't, you know. But the other thing is, is she lies about it all. Right. Like she lies about school. She lies about uh, who bankrolls like her apartment. She says like an old rich man. Uh, She lies about the limp where she says she was in an accident and right. she's trying to be an actress. Like, so the old man is her dad. Like the old rich man's her dad who gives her money and sets her up. The limp is not from an accident. Like she had polio. Mm-hmm. So she's just like, she, and I feel like having a woman having polio in 1961 is kind of commonplace. I mean, not, I mean, fairly common, right? Yeah, like I mean, there, there would have been a oh, lot there of people. There would have been an outbreak back then. Yeah. So it's like, you're just lying to lie. You know, like it's well, not but, like it's not but like she's not she's not just lying to lie, though. She she feels she's broken, as Jason was alluding to. She is a completely broken character that feels so inadequate. She's trying to do all these things to make her feel better and to to, you know, come up in life. But nothing is working. And so she's lying to to make herself feel better about herself. Right. And so that's why her and Newman are so perfect for one another after he loses. I mean, he's he thinks he's the best and and beating fats is his shot and he blows it and that completely destroys him and turns him away from pool like he doesn't know what to do he turns into a drifter after this and the two of them shack up eventually and it's like the the two of them are just perfect (laughs) well neither one of them is really honest with each other about who they really are she doesn't know he's a pool hustler a pool shark right and she's told him a bunch of bs and they're living together like after like a couple of days, I think. And yeah. they're both like so desperate for love. Well, he kind of, so, he kind of like moves his way in. Like yeah, that's her pretty, place. He, and he kind of just like squats at her place is basically what happens. Well, and I would argue yeah. that they're not honest with themselves about who they are. <laughs> that's right. probably true too. Definitely. Well, I, I think Sarah gets there, right? I think yeah. she gets there yeah. before, yeah, she gets before there. anybody else in this movie does. <laughs> she, gets, she gets there right <laughs> as she scribbles on the mirror. Yeah. I think what yeah, I think one of the most interesting parts of the movie though is when she feels loved by Fast Eddie, uh she sobers up, she yeah. cleans up, mm-hmm. she carries herself different, she starts being a functional, semi functional adult. Because she's like in her 30s, right? And he's like, isn't that a little too old to be going to college? Or yeah. Mid-20s or something like that? I think she said she's like 27 or something, but yeah. Yeah. And I so always... the idea of like a, a woman living in the city in 1961 going to college is, I think, already kind of makes her offbeat. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I always struggle with when movies do that, though, just because it's like, if you're an alcoholic, it it's it it's not, <laughs> it you don't get over that just because somebody makes 
googly eyes at you. Hey, let me. Yeah, let me she tell, doesn't let get me tell, over let me it tell though. You. You because don't. she, she well, she doesn't get over it though because she does keep lapsing. Yeah. Every little sort of emotional trigger, she's soused again yeah. to the point where she's like writing a yeah, story right. drunk in a negligee. Yeah, you know, and so that's she's how like, I write my stories. <laughs> she's one shady. She's one. She's one. You, and apparently, how everybody in Real Spoilers does podcasts as well. I didn't realize this was a lingerie convention yeah. here on Zoom. Yeah, we'll just be lucky. Joe has clothes on for yeah, this episode. I was going to say okay? when we recorded ours for your podcast, I wasn't wearing clothes. So no. <laughs> I, I did put some cologne on though. I wanted to impress Tom. I was like, you know, Tom O'Keefe. My God, he's a legend. You know. Um, he, you know, I think one of the things uh, about her character, though, is that she is all it takes is like Paul Newman to like not return the smallest inkling of affection to her because he's still consumed in his own self and his own world, and his own problems and his own how to get back to Minnesota fats. If he's like just drifting out a window and not really listening to her, she's going straight for the bottle. So I don't but think she's magically cured by love. Yeah. I just think like this gives her a reason to live that she right. didn't really have before. Right. I was just about to say, I mean, not to try to repeat it all, but I'm thinking in my head, it's like, well, for people that use alcohol as a crutch, it's like it's, you know, if, if, they're, if you're feeling down, the alcohol is a temporary relief from that. And so she's distracted by Paul Newman in a good way. Like she, he, they have this relationship and she's feeling good about herself. She's feeling better about herself. And so, but yeah, whenever times are getting tough, she's turning back to the bottle. And so that's the hard part to watch is any self-destructive behavior, uh, from people. And, and both of them do this. And, uh, you know, for her, it's like, she's is getting better and you see their relationship, but, the brokenness of Eddie right. keeps coming back to this, like his one track mind of, you know, I'm going to be the best and I'm going to beat fats. And like, he forgets about it for a while, but then of course, Charlie shows back up. That's I was going to say. So, but does he, does he hit her before Charlie shows up or after? I think it's after, isn't it? Is it after? I'm just thinking like that. There, the two scenes with Sarah that are just yeah. the, the kick in the is when he slaps her and she like does not move. And she, the line is just like, what do you think? What are you gonna, like, what do you expect me to cry? And it's just like, dang, like yeah. you, you have seen some stuff. Like you have been through some stuff. And yeah. then of course the final scene, but she, but, but she's yeah, broken. Charlie, she's completely. Oh yeah. Yeah. But when I mean, Charlie, the, it, when Charlie shows up and she hears Newman talk to Charlie, she knows the score. She knows who Eddie really is. Cause he was like, you're a loser. You've held me back this entire time. And, when why don't you just go find somewhere to lay down and die by yourself? And when she hears the way that he speaks to because that's a side of Eddie she's never seen before. He's all charm right, and right. googly eyes, as Tom was saying. <laughs> that you don't get any of that here, right? Yeah. Like here, this is the this is the real Eddie, or at least like the conflicted part of him. There's those two worlds, so to speak. This is that uh, uh, scumbag side coming out, and she's just in the kitchen. It just goes to a shot of her. She's like prepping a drink, bottle in hand, which is obviously purposeful. And, um, you know, she actually does start to cry because she knows the guy that she's with, the real version of him. And then I think that's when he hauls off. He's like, what's the matter with you? You know, blah, 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 blah. And then yeah. I think that's, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but it's it's around that time. It's just, I think it also, it, it real, I, th- I think for her, for Sarah, she realizes, when is that going to get turned on me? Exactly. That's it. Right. Like, when is that Eddie going to show up and, you know, go after me and say things like that to me? Well, and I think she finally thought that she found a good guy because they were living, you know, they were doing their thing. They're playing house and things are going pretty well. Mm-hmm. And, and she didn't know any of his background before Charlie showed up. And he I think that Eddie had, was broken enough to where he was just like, OK, well, that's not my life anymore. Right. And then all this comes back and she realizes that he's just like the guy she's been with before. And so it's it's heartbreaking for her that things seem on track and then the rug is pulled out from under so so he dismisses charlie and then he goes and he tries to play poker but he loses at poker and bert the gambler is there he knew where bert was i thought it was a hustle yeah that's what i thought too is he was hustling he was hustling bert to get back to minnesota and then he gets the hustle turned around on him yeah it was ingratiated himself to bert there's that great line where bert says 
poker's not your game. And he knows that he's this great pool player, but he has to he has to change his character, which is this whole thing that he goes on about how Minnesota Fats has the character. Eddie had the skill, but not the character. He's a loser within, you know, within himself. And yeah. so he has to clean that up if he wants to be a great like Fats is. So so he ends up taking on uh, Bert takes Eddie on, you know, and he plays that role that Charlie does. But Charlie was just a two bit hustler where Bert is this high sex gambler. He's making he's making some money. He's making the big moves. And so he right. he takes uh, Eddie under his wing and he's going to get him lined up with all these high rollers and they're going to make some real money. Uh, and then the cut is going to be 75 Bert, 25 percent Eddie. When they <laughs> yeah, I was like, good. What's a hell of a cut? But he's putting up the big the high stakes. So it's a different world. So it's like you know and 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 eddie's not at risk right right i like, guess that's true yeah right 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 yeah bird's the one who's giving up all the cash right yes. well that raises an interesting point the movie's called the hustler who is the hustler in this movie the bird well i mean i mean they, they all are on some yeah. level you know so they're all hustling each other right essentially right yeah. yeah that's true that's true uh yeah so uh sarah's out and this is the the to jason's point this is a a time when Sarah looks like she's doing pretty well. She's going to the grocery store and things are going going okay. She comes home and there's a, a suitcase that's packed because uh, Eddie's going to bounce with Bert. Going to Louisville. Go yeah, go to Louisville. Don't forget that he got beat up by the guys in the in the pool. Oh, hall that's put, right. He goes to that. He goes to a shady pool hall. Yeah, he tries to do it on his own. He At does. First, he's he's like, I can do this, and so he goes and he hustles, and he doesn't know the ins and outs like Bert does. And again, he he can play pool, but he doesn't have a manager that used to keep him out of trouble and tell him when it was time to go. And this looked like the right people to play and, and that's so he, where that 75 percent goes right yes, like exactly. that's, yeah <laughs> it's protection money taught him a little bit of a <laughs> lesson know? there so yeah, yeah so yeah he, they, they smash both his thumbs and then he, so let's let's talk about what that means uh she was literally wiping his butt i mean you're not wrong i real quick because i never really noticed this before when they take him and break his thumb stuff do they rape him no it was funny okay. i watched this with my wife and and she asked the same thing because the way he's pressed up against he's pressed, the glass and he's like oh and they're behind yeah. him yeah and she's like are they raping him and i was like no they i'm like they're i they just pulled his arm behind his back right and, and broke his thumbs and, okay. and for leverage and then they break his thumbs but i i didn't take it as okay as them. and I also look, just logistically yeah. i don't think they could have gotten his pants off that quickly like, well but you know in movies that. how time is like i yeah, mean totally. I, I i just took it as like they were going to teach him a lesson there were all these big you know these big intimidating guys and then the way that they had him pressed up and they were behind yeah. it i'm just like I, it was I, a pool I, hall not a bathhouse <laughs> i also think in 1961 i don't think that's a direct okay. you know they don't gotcha. need to go that direct they established that it's a low point for him without that because i right. think the f one of the first movies I think that kind of Im that I remember implying rape would have been Lawrence of Arabia, male on oh. male rape. Uh, oh. Lawrence of Arabia, they hmm. you know it's it's implied there. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, but I'm okay. So, do we believe that this guy who ends up breaking his thumbs does Bert just know him by name, or is he a in the pool, the stable of low lifes that Bert maybe employs in the sly? Was this a setup? I think this is a setup because mm. I, I didn't think about it at the time, but at the end when Bert's like, "I can have these guys break your break your thumbs too," and it's like, and they oh. break your arm. Yeah. Is it the like same he guys? He's no, but I oh, think okay. that Bert has like a bunch of dudes in his employ. That's an interesting theory that it's the the guys at the at the scu the scummy pool hall. So Bert set him up to teach him a lesson, like you need me. He yeah he he hustled him to get that seventy five percent. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. That's very possible. So so they end up uh, he ends up getting healed as his thumbs get better, and then they set out to uh, the Kentucky Derby where there's a high roller that they're gonna get a. Um, what was the guy's name? Some fancy. He, uh, he's also like if you recognize, I recognize that guy as an actor. Murray Hamilton, Finley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like he's in all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But again, he's like George C. Scott. You're like the, he's in the Amityville Horror and Jaws. Yeah, yeah. He's the mayor. He's that's, the mayor. Yeah. He's, oh that's wow. Right. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. Wow. Good call, Kevin. But you look at him and like you're like, oh okay. But then he talks and you're like, man, I know that guy. Like, why do I know who that is? As a listener of Real Spoilers, Tom, can you explain to me who Finley is and how he's 
what what is what is he affecting here as a southern dilettante? I think he's just you know money. He's landed gentry, and he and money is immaterial to him. He just likes the thrill of of the action, and so people so people like George C. Scott know to go to him and bring shiny baubles for him to play with, <laughs> and he doesn't mind if he loses money as long as he loses it fairly. And and because he even says he doesn't mind losing, he doesn't want to give it away. Or I, maybe I'm no, that's the second movie. That's color money, second movie. Okay, but it's the same principle. That's the same principle. Yeah. Is is he is he a southern gentleman? Yes, he is landed gentry. But he's asking you, is he gay? Yeah. Oh, that's what he's trying to ask you. I don't know. Do they think? Do do they? He has an affect where it's like, is Paul Newman this pretty young thing for him to play with? Where he's like, oh, gotcha. Um, I don't know. I didn't. Does Bert see him as an easy mark because he's a feminist? Yeah, I don't think so. I think Bert sees him as an easy mark because he's rich and he doesn't Mm. mind losing. I I don't because I I don't I didn't interpret it that way because I think. Bert just wants to take your money. He doesn't care about that sort of stuff. You but know? I see because I've I've been watching it before, and this I question that too because you know you're you're trying to interpret all this stuff that's going on, and so just the way that he plays that character, you do question or you can question like, oh, is that a thing? And so I don't think the movie focuses on it, but I can see where you would infer that you could mm. take that. Yeah, you know? I don't know that it's firmly established, but I yeah. also don't know that it's firmly not established. Right. He, I, honestly, when they went to him, my first thought, what it reminded me of was uh uh Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Django. Yeah. Um, mm. Oh, for sure. That's yeah. a very sure. similar totally play too, that. like where you know this guy, yeah. Yeah. You think you think you, you didn't get one over on him, but he's right. actually one step ahead of him. And you. he's also kind of got that similar he very, you know, just aristocratic mannerisms mm-hmm. that could be interpreted as, as effeminate or is just he's just really above it all and has never had to really work a day in his life and just has these more you know quote-unquote high-class interests yeah that's very true. so basically he's this guy that throws these parties he's a rich board person he's throwing parties he wants to play pool for high stakes he doesn't he has so much money he just wants to you know he wants to be entertained to and so they go to this party and uh oh and um uh sarah comes along because he basically is like leaving town and she thinks he'll never return but he wants to prove to her that no i do care about you but i've got to go do this and so they take her and this is where i think that like he is trying to be better right like yes, yes. Right. you know that yes. he's like she's worried that he's never coming back and so he's trying to give her the peace of mind and be like no 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 you're really my girl like let's let's hit the road together yeah. then he would have and, never taken her he would have been gone and and moved on to the next town and the next yeah. hustle so so they bring her but she is a distraction and big time uh, bert knows this and so um bert and her are always at odds he 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 doesn't want eddie's focus to be drawn away and he wants him to be a winner and he wants him to only do these things that are going to lead to him winning pool and winning them both money and so when they're at this party he ends up whispering something uh bert whispers something into sarah's ear and it ends up setting her off and it kind of i think do you think he propositions her that's what i thought it was is like he Nobody knows. It's open to interpretation, right? None of them ever actually said anything. Even uh, even Piper Laurie doesn't know. Uh, She it's not a scripted line. He just mumbled into her ear. She even asked him years later what he said, and he's like, "I didn't say anything." He's like, I, I, I knew whatever I said would not be as offensive as what you were going to make up in your head. And here's the Mm. deal: she's pretty broken and she's seen a lot of stuff i know she's getting better but also him propositioning her isn't gonna set her off like that she's so so plenty he would have to say something very very mean i feel like at this point in her life right like she's with eddie she knows that uh bert is kind of a scumbag but no matter what he says it wouldn't set her off like that so but it's but they they turn her into the hustle like they like she's not there to be a part of the con but they end up manipulating her to where right. she ends up being part of it so they see that she they've got this this troubled woman that's at the party and it's it's kind of like playing off of uh, Eddie's psyche, and so then they go up to the pool game, and it would seem well, like doesn't 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 she see him? That she sees Eddie talking to like very beautiful women, and that's it. Yeah, like then she then she's just slamming champagne and 
that's the that's the whisper, and then she throws a glass. That's and why she sleeps with Bert. I think in the yeah. end is because she's so self conscious. She thinks that well, right. Eddie's going to end up getting all this money, and he's going to leave me for some beautiful woman that it doesn't have all these problems. And so she's so she hates herself so much, and right. she ends up sleeping with Bert, even though she, I mean. You wouldn't think that would happen, but she just doesn't, you know, she's damaged. It's such a, it's such a, so yeah, so he loses, so uh, Eddie plays the game and he's losing, like he's Mm -hmm. getting smoked because he's not playing pool, he's playing billiards. Right, they're playing billiards, not pool. Which is very, it's different than pool. Yeah. I was this many years old when I learned that pool and billiards are not the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, so billiards is, uh, I don't really fully understand it, but I know billiards has no pockets, and so. It's got like, it's got like, uh, like bumpers, right? Well, I mean, it's it's just like a pool table, but with no pockets, and so it's about like where you place the ball, and I don't even know how. Almost like bocce ball or something. Yeah, and, and like if you remember the music, man, that was one of the distinctions that that Henry or Harold Hill is making is is that uh, um, not Henry Hill. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, um, is where he's he's like, you know, any boob can take and shove a ball in a pocket. I call that sloth. The first big step on the road to the depths of degradation. First medicinal <laughs> wine from a teaspoon, then beer from a bottle. So Look at you, there Look we go. At you, yeah, but right. yeah. So he he loses. He has to, he actually he's out of money and he has to go. He takes it from sarah like and she's she's passed out on a bed or so we think and then he she wakes up enough to know that he stole from her to go feed his habit and he loses again like he never wins yeah uh and then he kind of goes off on his own and realizes he's kind of a, a scumbag uh and bert goes up to the room and wait, like, wait, 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 wait no he Eddie wins. He ends up because George C. Scott calls him a loser, and he ends up winning. Oh, and they, that's they right. Break, that's right. They break Finley. So, so yeah. it's it's all kind of George C. Scott is still doing the hustle, and so and they're using like Eddie's emotions and Sarah's emotions, and he ends up breaking. He does that thing where he like you're a loser. You can't beat this guy because you're a loser and you always will be. And that gives Eddie the determination and the drive to come fire back. And he ends up taking Finley for that's right for twelve thousand right. dollars. And you can see Finley is completely broken at this point. He's like, "Can I write you a check?" And George Scott's like, "Nope, cash." <laughs> and he is a broken man sitting at that that desk. Like he's been taken for more than he bargained for bargained for yeah so anyway so they they end up winning that but meanwhile so where wait where does where does because he leaves where does eddie go because bert goes up to the room i think he's just walking it off because it was yeah yeah he says i'm gonna yeah he's like yeah i'm gonna walk and so yeah bert goes and i gotta tell you the way this scene is shot is almost it's horrifying honestly because you it's a shot it they've got two adjoining rooms yeah. And it's all, it's a shot. It's a, it's at a diagonal angle and it's right through when George C. Scott's when Bert walks through the door, it's a straight camera shot to um, Sarah on the bed mm-hmm. and George C. Scott just slowly makes his way through doors, like doors that are open, but to Sarah. And it's like, you know, what's coming. It's yeah. one of two things, right? Like he's either going to rape her or we get the, the second option. Cause there's just, the way they it's so unnerving the way they film it mm-hmm. and then of course they do have sex and sarah immediately regrets it and has a i mean unfortunately she does have a moment of clarity where she goes into the bathroom and she writes on the mirror i thought she was going to write uh i i for i thought she was writing a note to and she is <laughs> i guess that's true yeah. yeah um and she you know writes uh drunk perverted crippled perverted twisted crippled on the mirror that's what, yeah and then that's kind of, you know, and then you, Eddie comes back to the hotel. He see like every, and nobody's really talking to him. Like even yeah, the, he asked for bell, his the key and they're just like, uh, that key. <laughs> he was like, dude, give me the key. So they give him the key. And of course he goes up there and the, the hotel detectives, which I always think is one of the coolest things. I don't know why, but like, that's not even a thing anymore. Yeah. Like a, your hotel, your hotel has a specific detective that goes along with it. I mean, didn't we learn about that in the Maltese Falcon? I think that's we where, did. Yeah, yeah. Like, you see it detective. in old time movies all the time. Yeah. Hotel Dick, the Hotel Dick. Yeah, uh, not George C. Scott. No, <laughs> not George C. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the cops there, and and I was actually watching this with my wife and my three year old, and she goes, "Are they gonna, are they gonna show it?" And I was like, "Ah, you know what? I don't know. I I guess they could, but they don't." They, 
they don't show it. They show like um, a razor blade on the sink and, and the like bloody some, water in the sink. Yeah, some like bloody handprints, but you never see like the aftermath. You see right? her just, back turned. You see to her the body, but that's about it. Yeah, on the ground. And Paul Newman is destroyed. Like that's it. He's broken. He George C. Scott's playing this. She came on to me. She came on to me. She I'm came on to right. me. Right. But after yeah. he like threw money at her and she's like just leave it on the bed, that's how it's done. He was like, Yep, that's how it's done. Yeah. And yeah. Eddie doesn't want you here anymore and you and I both know you're holding it back and he doesn't care about you. And he does such a mind job on her that mm-hmm. when that he actually I think forcibly grabs her, kisses her, she pushes him off. Right. And then when we get that shot you're talking about, Joe, the most harrowing part is the look on her face yep. when she makes the decision to walk through that door. Yeah. And yep. so you know at that moment she's dead. Yeah. She's not going to make it out of this movie because she's completely rebroken. Right. Eddie has the $3,000 now. So they've, they've figured that was the amount of money to play Fats. And so, of course, when they won 12 from Finley, that means he gets 25%, which is his three. He takes it back to the pool room and he plays Fats. But and he kicks the shite out of Fats. And he wins. They play all night again and he completely destroys Fats. But at the end of the day, he doesn't care. Right. He, he, he lost. He chose a pool game over Sarah. Sarah killed herself. He no longer has her, and he realizes his moment of clarity is that it the pool didn't matter. He had someone that he loved. You know, it's worse than he chose a pool game over. He chose a billiards game over. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's always have to live with that. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So at the end of the day, it's like yeah, he he ends up destroying Fats, but he is back to being broken because it, it like he found something better than than his goal you know he thought beating fast was the end-all be-all but like we all said he would never be happy well and then he i think we should also point out that not only did did beating minnesota fats not give him what he wants but he's also now essentially banned from from this world right yeah like george c right. scott it basically says if you're in this world i'm gonna take you out right he gives well, it, he, that so comes he, that comes down to money though. Like, yeah, that's that's not even yet. Yeah, he won't he, give him. He's like, I'm not going to give you. What if I don't give you the money? He's like, yeah. what if you don't give me the money? I'll, basically, that's when he's like, I'll break your arm in three places. I'll make sure you know we'll kill you if you don't give yeah. us the money. And he's like, then you're going to have to kill me then because. Well, it's also you get an idea. If you don't that, kill me, I'm coming back to kill you. Yeah, right. You also get an idea of how broken Fats is, right? Like he's like, you should probably pay him, Eddie. Like there's this this dude who has this like immortal reputation this throughout the world who probably could have said Bert you're gonna let him walk but he can't I don't think he could and also uh Fats has never been beaten like that so he well, that's after what I'm saying is like years... you, you he has that aura about him but you realize that at the end of the day Bert is the one who's holding all the cards yeah at the end of the day yes, exactly yep. Fats is just a, a pawn right just like Eddie is and right. so that's but the movie why... presents it the movie presents fat as the guy with all the power to like yeah. joe's point but but in the end he's just like slumped in a chair and he's an indentured servant to the money so right? ultimately yep, to- this is kind of almost uh how movies work right like uh minnesota fats might be the movie star but george c scott is the director and he's gonna call sure. the shots and you're gonna stand where he points the camera and if you don't like it then he's going to find a different movie star. Exactly. And you won't get to be a movie star anymore. Maybe, maybe George C. Scott is the studio. And now that someone's beaten Fats, his reputation is not of yep. the best player anymore. So he's broken because he he may be good, but now people are all going to be talking that, oh, well, if someone beat Fats, there's someone that's better than him. Right. And so his life is kind of upended too. So it's everyone is really screwed up in the end of this movie. And it ends on such a dour note as in the hero doesn't get the girl, does isn't happy, it's not, you know it's such an interesting way that it just ends with sweeping with... up garbage is how it ends just sweeping <laughs> garbage yeah which right, is the right, theme right. of the movie right is that these people are just these are the cigarette butts in the ashtray of life every one of these characters <laughs> they uh you you do finally get a, an idea for with paul newman where he says i care like you don't i care about this like you we broke her talking to paul newman talking to george g scott and that's that's the bottom line right like paul newman's care eddie finally has the revelation that he's not a good guy yeah and well he says you're you're the loser because you're dead inside right mm-hmm. right 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 and that but yeah to jason's point that that's how the movie ends is um they let eddie walk with the money and the pool hall clears out at the end of the night and then you're just left with like the bar 
the bar back sweeping up the the garbage in the pool hall and that's yeah. credits roll did you so before we wrap this one up? Did you see who the bartender was who played the bartender? Jake Lamada. Yeah. Jake Lamada, Raging Bull himself. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I that's insane. Like just the yeah. the amount of people that are in this movie is bonkers. Yeah, yeah. Having I, never seen the film before, I thought the the dialogue, especially between George C. Scott and Piper Laurie, their exchanges were amazing. The dialogue just sings. I think Robert Rosen, who had think adapted the novel and that directed it, was a director who basically gave way to McCarthyism and turned like 60 of his yeah. cohorts in and confessed to be a communist. So I think if anybody knows about being a scumbag, <laughs> turncoat, <laughs> traitor, POS, it's this guy. And I'm, I'm being, kind of being serious because it comes no, totally. through in the movie of like, these are all like, this, this, in 1961, if you're sitting in a theater for two hours and 15 minutes, this movie had to be a punch in the gut because it just ends on the lowest of lows. <laughs> and this was a reflection. You a lot of movies like that back then, right? You didn't really no. have art house cinema, and so it was still a studio system, and you didn't get dour endings. That's what I'm saying. People. It was yeah. so weird of it yeah. to, at the time to end like that, but it was a complete reflection, as Jason said, of, of Rawson, the the director, yeah. who yeah did you know turn over his friends and everything, and so he chose this story for a reason, and this reflection, you know, Eddie in trying to find himself and how broken he is and and all that i mean is the director you know trying to kind of tell his story through these characters and yeah it's i mean it's it's a masterfully written and and acted film i newman is great as always uh it's one of the classics for sure and uh i also liken it to something like moneyball to where you don't have to care about pool yeah you don't have to understand how it's played this movie never explains the game there's not an exposition jump where they go you hit the you know you hit the balls in order and then do this ball it it doesn't matter yeah pool is just a vehicle to tell this excellent story and this this human character study and so it never matters what sport they are playing um, you know, th- so that's why I think maybe people that aren't interested in pool may never even watch this movie, but just know that the pool doesn't matter. That's just the vehicle. And right. uh, this is, yeah, they well don't really even, yeah, they, they, you never really get, it's not even like a poker movie where you're like, Oh, he's trying to draw an inside straight. You never really get any of the, like, we need to do this to win the game kind of not stuff. It's, it, it's. You know, if if you come to this for pool, you're going to be yeah. disappointed. And you and, you understand when someone's losing pool and right. winning pool, but that's all that you get. The movie is very, it's very good at having you follow who's winning and losing. But the rules, how it's played, anything like that, no. It's 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 artfully shot from the camera angles and everything to keep you interested. But yeah, it's it does the pool doesn't matter. It's just there to push these characters along their journey. And right. so don't be scared off by that if you're not interested in pool because it's a fantastic film. Um, the acting, George C. Scott too, which like the is three just, of them, the three of them are just yeah. like it's a master, it's a master's class of acting. Yeah. The, like the four of them, I, oh, I guess the four Piper of them. Yeah, sure, great sure, sure. too. Like it's, yes. Oh know. no, I was including her. Oh well, because then you got Gleason, right? Right. You know, right. Like, That's the. You got no, Gleason, I totally George agree. C. Scott, Newman, Piper Laurie. four, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's – but the supporting characters, you think like Jackie Gleason hardly has any lines, hardly on screen. But when he is, he's a presence. Piper Laurie's damaged and does this amazing performance. And then George C. Scott in his third role, you're like, <laughs> dude, this, role, this is guy bonkers. is a star. I mean, yeah. he is ama- his com- he's a commanding force. So, yeah, see this movie. Uh, it's one of the greats. Well, just real quick, I like to talk about like what movies were – top of the box office in the year this movie came out just to give you some context of what this is opening around right so so you can kind of get a feel for what a gut punch this must have been so uh number 10 come september don't even know what that is number nine <laughs> la dolce vita uh number eight 101 dalmatians oh nice <laughs> Num- okay number yeah. seven king of kings number six lover come back number five the absent-minded professor number four <laughs> the parent trap disney's having a good year uh, number three, El Cid. Number two, The Guns of the Navarone. And number one, West Side Story. So imagine sitting down for this. <laughs> for the hustler. Well, this it, this was we're nominated. We're going to do a double feature of this and 101 Dalmatians. It'll be great. Yes. This was nominated, I think, for nine Academy Awards. And it, it only won uh, art direction and cinematography. All the acting awards were lost to West Side Story. So yeah. it was unfortunate I mean, that it was up against that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, I guess uh, that's it for this one. Let's go around the virtual table and everyone can say where to find them. 
This is Joe. You can follow me on the Twitter at JoyButts, B-U-T-T-S 21. This is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R. Brackett. And this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. Jason, where can everybody find you? At Binge Movies and every place where good podcasts are available. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And then uh, also don't forget you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash real spoilers while you're there like the page join the group and of course check out our patreon so that's it for this one coming up on the next one we will tackle the sequel the color of money until then the gary conservatory didn't exist in 1905 he is great he's that old fat man look at the way he moves like a dancer well cross-eyed those fingers, them chubby fingers. That stroke. He's like he's, uh, like he's playing a violin or something. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.